0: Fifteen. Respect
1: all, fear none.
0: Into the upper
2: deck. Taxity is not a perfect. Oh, mercy. Five, four, three,
1: two, one. From inside the Masson Newsroom. It is the Masson All Access Podcast. Final week of the regular season. A mere four games left to be played for the Baltimore Orioles. A broken-wristed Paul Mancano here with Brandon Mortensen with two healthy wrists that he likes to flaunt in front of me. Uh, I thought about doing the, the Christopher Russo open, the good afternoon, everybody, Welcome to, and then just going on a five-minute rant and just not stopping to breathe mm. at some point during there because I, I listened to him on the way in and that's... That's kind of what was just stuck in my head. So yeah. if at some point, if you catch me kind of like just going a snowballing down a, a mountain of words and just saying, "Hey, the Astros are winning two or three. Where, where are they doing? Why
2: are they doing this?" Then that's that's how. See, you know. when you came when you came to work today, I thought that might have been the coffee, but it was just it was just what you. It was heard a on combination, though. It was a combination
1: okay. of the the little coffee that I had, and mm. that as well. Um, fun fact: at, at winter meetings, and our producer Bobby Blanco can attest to this a couple of years ago. Everybody's kind of stuck in most cases. Uh, all of the media outlets or most of them are in the, some giant, you know, lobby or hall. And uh, I think it was Orlando a couple of years ago, Christopher Russo was doing his high heat show at the end of the hallway. And every day our show would be interrupted for good afternoon, everybody. Like the loudest, he was at least, I don't know, 20 yards away, like a, a, a good distance. And his back to us, And we could hear him from the other side. I don't know if he knows that he's mic'd up. They're not, you know, they they can pick up the audio directly from him. He just, he's projecting. He's using his diaphragm. It is is proper technique. As a former high high school actor, I can appreciate that, certainly. But
2: yeah. (laughs) Had to throw that in there. (laughs) Such a weird brag. Beyond weird. Yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, Kind of sad brag, I would say. Yeah. At that point. Does that make it a brag anymore?
1: It's a good question. Mm. All right. Well, we're going to talk a little <laughs> baseball, uh, particularly the most valuable, valuable or got it debate. Yeah. There we go. Uh, which, of course, the MVO, if you will, which is because I can't say valuable, I'm going to be referring it to it as that uh, the votes have been cast for MVO, but we do not yet know the results. We will know the results at some point tomorrow. And we're going to have Rockabaco of MassinSports.com on in just a bit to discuss that a little bit more as well. But we're going to make the, have the debate right here and right now, Brendan, because this is a MVO. Some years they're obvious, some years they are very much not. Last year was pretty obvious, about as obvious as you can get for an MVO debate. That was Trey Mancini took home the award, of course. This year is a little murkier because you have 60 games and you have some guys who played basically a little bit more than half the games and some guys who played pretty much the whole season, and the guys who played a little bit more than half the games were vastly more productive than the guys who
2: played the entire season. And it's interesting, too. Personally, I've got five guys on my list of potential most valuable Orioles. Three of them, and arguably the top three, have a number of games played that starts with a three. So we're talking about three guys who have played maybe just over half the season, potentially winning most valuable Oriole. And I even threw a fourth guy on the list, not because his stats were that great, but when you look at this Orioles roster right now and the guys who have actually played throughout the 2020 season, there is a certain amount of value to a guy who's going to play 50-plus games. And so even if the numbers aren't there, he's got to at least be in consideration for most valuable Oriole just because he's played more games than everybody else. So it's, I think personally that there's three guys in the debate and all of them have played 30-something games. Yeah. So we're going to get to the candidates in just a bit, but
1: I think first we need to define most valuable Oriole to kind of have an idea of where to start this debate because it it is different, as they say, with most valuable player in all sports, it is different from best overall player. And part of that is out of a player's control. So I think a, a player is more valuable to their team when there are fewer legitimate options at that position. And when you take them out of the lineup or out of a game, the team is significantly worse without that player and determining how much worse that player is. problem is that a little bit of that is out of a player's control. For uh, an example, and we'll get to it later, but Anthony Santander taken out of his team's lineup for the first couple weeks after he was uh, removed and headed to the IL – D.J. Stewart absolutely mashed the ball and hit seven home runs in about nine days, so he wasn't was he quite as valuable if he is not if he has a suitable replacement. Um, I think that is is part of what goes into the valuable definition, Um, but the other thing is is your team winning games when you are on the field and are they losing games when you're not? And in a overall. Most valuable player league-wide perspective, that kind of separates the the winners and the losers, and it becomes more difficult for a guy on a losing team to win games. But when you're just talking about a one team and a team that is currently ten games below 500, it's kind of difficult to say, all right, this guy led more to wins, and this you know it, 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 would the team be better with this guy or without this guy? It's more difficult to determine that because you're just
2: looking at one team. Right, and in terms of the the wins and losses, it's hard with this Orioles team right now because it's, it's not a baseball team that's winning a ton of games. But interestingly enough, one of the guys who is on my list for a potential most valuable Oriole, Ryan Mountcastle, is actually eighth in the American League in win probability added, which is really int- interesting. So if you take the wins and losses into consideration when you're thinking about most valuable Oriole. He's actually one of the most valuable guys in the American League when it talks about adding wins and losses. So how much weight do you put into that? And then in terms of a positional backup, you mentioned Anthony Santander and how DJ Stewart came in and basically didn't skip a beat from the power numbers that Santander was putting up. Stewart has, of course, slowed down a little bit, and that actually might help Santander's value in terms of looking at his replacement guys. But you look at a guy like Jose Iglesias, where there wasn't really a great option at backup shortstop. I mean, you've got guys like Andrew Velasquez, Pat Vileka, and Ramon Urias are probably your three backup shortstops. So if you're looking at Jose Iglesias, you might say, okay, even though he might not be the best Oriole so far in 2020, his replacements are much worse. Whereas Anthony Santander, you didn't see a huge dip in value to DJ Stewart. So all of those things should really be in consideration when you're looking at valuable because it's not necessarily the best player. Exactly. But let's go to the phones
1: to find out uh, who you think. Now, just kidding. It's a podcast, Brendan. We don't have a phone line. (laughs) Uh, But we will take comments as well. We are live on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at the moment. So please do let us know who you think should win mvo as we go along but let's get to the candidates here we just kind of teased them a little bit let's start with anthony santander played 37 games has not played since since september 4th is out with an oblique strain and is going to miss the final four games of the season of course when this guy was in the lineup every day for the first month plus of the season this orioles offense was well above average he was crushing the ball, hitting home runs. He, was, he had to be pitched around at several points. He had uh, three intentional walks. And the Orioles' offense has not looked the same without Anthony Santander. I think that's where you begin the case of
2: Santander for MVO. And I would continue that case. This is my hypothetical vote. If I were to have a vote for most valuable Oriole, it would be Anthony Santander. And I think an important piece as well to keep in mind is that when Anthony Santander went down, the Orioles were still pretty much in the thick of a playoff race at that point. As things have gotten towards the end of 2020, the Orioles have fallen off. But when Anthony Santander was in the lineup, this was a team that was, what, in between second and third in the AL East at that point. So they were still making a push... And I think if Anthony there is is playing a complete season, doesn't unfortunately go down with injury, maybe we're still talking about the Orioles coming down the stretch, maybe not in a firm playoff position, but maybe still in the hunt. I think it's difficult to tell
1: yeah. in this instance
2: yeah. because
1: the more games the Orioles were going to play, odds are the lower they were going to get in the standings. Right. I, I think... It, he definitely had an impact there, but uh, again, it's it's difficult to tell exactly how much impact one particular player is going to have on your playoff sure. odds. But I would I would totally agree that if he's healthy, they're a better team. We can reasonably assume that they would be in a better position. Yeah, they might not have been eliminated at this point, right? Uh, especially when you think back to the way the offense has struggled over the past now almost three weeks, two weeks. They, were, they came into Yankee Stadium, I think, a game and a half back of a potential playoff spot. This was without Anthony Santander, and this was when DJ Stewart was crushing it. And the offense fell off a cliff and has not recovered since then. They had one great game against the Braves, but since then, they have really not been the same offensive team. Brandon Hyde has talked about them chasing pitches, expanding the zones, just not being in competitive at-bats. And when he was in the lineup, Santander was crushing it. So in those 37 games, he had 261. For a long, large portion of this, the first month, he was hitting around 300. Those last couple weeks kind of dipped his average, or last week, I guess. Um, yeah. He had 11 homers, which is still tied for the team lead with Renato Nunez. 32 RBIs, which still is the most on this team. And an 890 OPS, according to Baseball Reference, had a 1.5 war, which is very high for 37 games and fangraphs had a 0.9 war eight defensive runs saved according to fangraphs which is is difficult to tell but in right field our eyes can tell us he was he had made several improvements in the outfield and maybe wasn't an above average outfielder right fielder at that point but showed off the arm showed off the range made some popping catches was at least solid in right field
2: yeah solid is the word that I would have used there as well he certainly didn't hurt you in right field even if he's not giving you a gold glove caliber you know right field that's not really what you needed Anthony Santander for and what you needed him for he provided which was that big bat in the middle of the lineup and that is kind of my argument against maybe voting for a guy like a Jose Iglesias, where the average is is not there for Anthony Santander when you compare him to Jose Iglesias. A two hundred sixty one batting average for Santander versus a three seventy seven for Jose Iglesias. So a massive jump. Huge.
1: Huge. I mean that's over a hundred points. Right. It's not like we're talking about two sixty one and three hundred. We're talking about two sixty one and three seventy seven. Right. But how much do you value value batting average right, exactly yeah, I mean you are one of the you are more analytically minded I think than uh, the average baseball fan maybe do you value batting average? Do you value on base percentage more in that instance ops we're, we're going to get to Jose Iglesias, but that OPS was solid for Anthony Santander,
2: but it wasn't the highest on the team, right but I think with Santander, he's still providing you with and this is kind of do you look at the old school numbers do you look at some of the more advanced metrics if you're looking at old school numbers anthony santander had 11 home runs and 32 rbis and when you look at jose iglesias yes he's getting on base and he's maybe more of a table setter kind of guy anthony santander is coming to the plate and he's clearing the table yeah he is he is the one who is driving the runs in he is getting on base he's scoring runs as well all the fact that all of those stats are still higher than Jose Iglesias despite you know well Iglesias actually has fewer games he's just missed games more sporadically true but Santander there I, I think he provides you more value offensively and defensively as well 35 of his 37 games were in right field versus a guy like Iglesias who plays 23 games at shortstop and 13 games at DH right and I do think one more thing it, it does
1: show your value to a team when pitchers are actively pitching around you. Exactly. And you have three intentional walks. His three intentional walks, same number of walks that Jose Iglesias has had this year. So that 377 average is awfully nice, but Iglesias has always been an aggressive swinger throughout his career and has only drawn three walks total on the season. It is funny because coming into the season, I really didn't think that I was going to be saying that Anthony Santander provided more defensively than Jose Iglesias. But it's the nature of Jose Iglesias' 2020 season, which has been marred by this injury, hamstring injury, which just keeps coming back. And you even see him out there running the bases. And any time that he can slow down, he will. Uh, He has not been a threat on the base paths at all. He is clearly hampered by this thing. There's a reason that Brandon Hyde has tried to give him as much rest as possible. But I think you could make the case that Santander has provided more defensively in right field than Iglesias has at shortstop. But if if Iglesias had played every single one of those 36 games at short, we would probably be saying the the other thing.
2: Well, I don't even think it's just a you could make the case. To me, at least, I think it's pretty clear that Anthony Santander provided you more value defensively than Jose Iglesias did. As as Roccabaco would say, all bat, no glove, Jose Iglesias. I think it's Santander. And you look at the war as well. Santander with a defensive war of 0.7. Jose Iglesias with a defensive war, these are according to baseball reference, of negative 0.2. So that that is kind of difficult to
1: to tell because I think he, by the eye test, he played a very passable shortstop. He did make some mistakes. Uh, there were some kind of curious errors mm-hmm. at shortstop. And shortstop is a more valuable position right. than right field is. So... The, the other, you, you hinted at it earlier on, but the value conversation, the Orioles can stick DJ Stewart in right field and he will play a passable right field. At times. At, at times passable, At times yes. passable. We, we've we're we're going to ignore him dropping the ball at Fenway. I was that going was to left. say. That, was yeah, left. that wasn't but left. They can, they can stick, it, whether it's Austin Hayes, they can stick in right as they have the past couple of days. And he is, he's going to give you above average right field. Uh, DJ Stewart can play a passable right field. Andrew Velasquez is not doing nearly as much defensively or offensively at shortstop than what Jose Iglesias did. Pat Vileka, while he has been a fun story at times, is not giving you... I mean, he made three errors in two days at Tropicana Field. He is not an above-average defensive shortstop by any means. He's, he's a utility guy, and it's nice to have those kind of guys, but Iglesias is a better shortstop. I think even with those injuries... Iglesias is still the best defensive shortstop on this team by a long,
2: long stretch. I will say though that Velasquez has been better defensively than he has been offensively. Yes, but I mean he hasn't committed an that's error. Not a terribly at high bar. No, but he <laughs> hasn't committed not, an error at shortstop. Yeah, he's had seventy-nine chances, twenty-five putouts, fifty-four assists. So he's been consistently solid at shortstop. I will give him that. But I will agree with you that if Jose Iglesias is healthy and playing shortstop every day, Iglesias is probably making some plays that Andrew Velasquez yeah. cannot. But granted, this season, Iglesias has also made some head scratchers at shortstop. So you get the value of making some spectacular plays that other guys can't, but you also lost a little bit character. Uncharacteristically, yeah, of Iglesias, where he's he's kind of making these bonehead errors,
1: and it's it's this is where the sample size comes into things because you give him sixty more games, he probably doesn't make you know those errors probably don't happen quite as often, but because we've right. seen just a few in such a short amount of time, it's hard to overcome
2: that. And of course, he's had the health concerns as well, which I think should be a big point for Iglesias when we're talking about the backup roles that that other guys are playing at shortstop. Yes, those guys aren't as good at shortstop as Jose Iglesias. Yeah. But he only gave you 23 games at shortstop right. this season.
1: And another thing to consider here, we talk about the games being very very similar with Santander and Iglesias. The plate appearances are not because as right. you if you remember Jose Iglesias has had to come in a lot of games to pinch hit or has been removed in a lot of games. Santander 165 plate appearances, Jose Iglesias 138. So the games are very similar, but Santander has been better with more time, with more opportunities at the plate. To me, that 100 point, 110 point average swing is massive. But it it, it is just as massive <laughs> as 11 homers compared to 1 homer. Exactly.
2: How much do you value the home run? I value the home run more than I value the batting average. I w- because, for, for the simple so Adam, reason... Adam Dunn is your ideal player. <laughs> when you're looking at Anthony Santander, it's not like he's hitting 220. We're not talking about a guy who's hitting, you know, somewhere around the Mendoza line versus Jose Iglesias, who's hitting, like, 500. We're talking about 261 versus 377, which, yes, is a big difference. But... I think it is less important of a difference than 11 home runs versus one, than 32 RBIs versus 21. And Santander has also scored more runs than Jose Iglesias. You can get singles all you want. I know Iglesias has, I can. has had, well, maybe not you. I'm saying Jose Iglesias can get on base. He can hit doubles. That's great. But if you're not driving in runs, you're not winning baseball games. So I put more value in a guy who can bring the runners home than a guy who can get on base because you can find guys who can get on base more frequently than guys who are going to drive in those runners. Yeah, like Cedric Mullins, he's been getting on base, bunting. Yeah, but he, he's but, not hitting for as high of an average. But Santander still has more of a capability of getting that guy home. But son, uh, Iglesias has been a
1: much better gap to gap. Oh, absolutely. Hitter, doubles hitter. Absolutely. Then, I mean, bunting for an uh, infield single is very different from Jose Iglesias driving sure. one to the gap.
2: Yeah, absolutely. But when you look at the Orioles lineup right now, there are more guys that are going to get on base for you than there are guys who are going to drive those runners home. Yeah. In the current lineup, you've got Ryan Mountcastle, who we're going to talk more about, and Renato Nunez, who are the two guys that are going to be consistently driving runners home. And Nunez is very streaky. And Mountcastle has still only right. played thirty professional games, so this is this is also where it comes into play of th- factors that are out of this player's control. Yeah,
1: if Trey Mancini's in this lineup, probably going to have not
2: need the power quite as much as he would. Right, otherwise. maybe you need a guy at the top of the lineup yeah. who's getting on base for Mancini yes. to drive it.
1: Yeah. So Santander's power was an absolute necessity on this team yes and and uh, you know again not to keep harping on the intentional walks but it shows itself in the intentional walks they don't intentionally walk jose iglesias because they're afraid that he's going to hit a double to the gap
2: the most dangerous three hitter in the league jose iglesias they
1: intentionally walk anthony santander because they're afraid he's going to drive one over the wall and put one on utah street right so that that comes into play as well um let's talk about ryan Mountcastle, though yeah because he deserves to have a say in this conversation. And as we're taking comments as well, because we are live, of course, on Facebook, uh, we do have some, uh, Linda air saying Mountcastle has her vote. Uh, Jan saying, uh, Anthony Santander. And so does Andrea going with, uh, Santander. But I have heard some support for Mountcastle as well. Um, and he currently is ahead on our Twitter poll. Santander has 52% of the vote. Iglesias says 17. Mountcastle has 21%. Interesting. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle, at at this time, has 31 games played, 3.30 average. Remember, he wasn't called up until August 21st. He has an 8.99 OPS, 5 homers, 21 RBIs. He has been money with runners on base. And playing a passable left field, playing a passable first base, has really not made any kind of knock on wood, any kind of boneheaded or, or confusing you know, rookie mistakes defensively quite yet. Maybe that'll come at some point. I'm sure you know every rookie is going to hit his wall defensively, but he has been fine there, so you can't use that against him. Where does Ryan Mountcastle fit in this debate?
2: I think he slides because he's only played in 31 games, and he is providing the Orioles with offense – and with solid value at a time when the Orioles are pretty much already out of the playoff push, right? When Mountcastle initially came up, the Orioles were still in the thick of things a little bit, and that's where he provided that value. But now as the season winds down, yes, he is giving you offense and he's playing solidly in the outfield and first base, but it really doesn't matter as much when you look at a potential playoff push and the wins and losses right now we can have a whole other podcast about whether you want the Orioles to be winning or losing games right now. I think we did that. We did do that, yeah. <laughs> um, so Mountcastle, for me, I think if he started the season at the majors, he is probably my leading vote-getter for most valuable Oriole. But the fact that he came up and is, is only going to play approximately half the season, it's it's interesting because Santander – is also going to end the season playing just about half, but you could argue that the time that Santander spent like at the major league level before his injury was more valuable time than Mountcastle is currently spending yeah. to the success of the team.
1: In, to put things in context, and I talked about how Santander changed the complexion of the offense, but overall impact on winning, games in which Santander played, the team was 16-21. and 21. Games in which Jose Iglesias played, the team was 16 and 20. And games in which Ryan Maucastle has played, 11 and 20. So ultimately, we talk about the impact that these guys have had. You, you look at those three numbers, not a terribly large impact, maybe a slightly overstated impact. Um, but yeah, I, I would agree there in terms of it, uh, things out of his control, victim of being brought up late in the season. Yeah, and I I think he deserves to be solidly third in this debate. 122 plate appearances is like 40 less, 40 fewer than Santander, and about 15 fewer than Jose Iglesias. So he just does not have. And and maybe over the last four games of the season, he hits eight homers and you know ends up pointing up even higher OPS numbers and and higher home run numbers. But at this time, he deserves to be third uh, and. If he had just five, six more games, maybe this would be a diff- different conversation. And there's a good chance in 2021 he's your most valuable Oriole. I think there's a, there's a, a very, very solid chance.
2: chance. Yeah, and and Peter on our Facebook, thanks for following along, makes a good point that with Santander and Mountcastle in the lineup, he said Brandon Hyde is a potential AL manager of the year, Yeah, which means if Santander is oh. still in the middle of this lineup and you've got that two-headed monster, this is a completely different team. I mean, yeah, we've talked uh, about it a bunch of times, but
1: just imagining... Austin Hayes, Ryan Mountcastle, Santander, and Trey Mancini at the top of your lineup to start, and maybe a Jose Iglesias if he comes back next year. That is an outstanding start to that lineup. Um, And, yeah, and Rakabako is going to talk about also Brandon Hyde being a a potential manager of the year candidate there. But,
2: yeah, I think Mountcastle at this point is your third place vote-getter. I would even argue... I think there's a debate to be made between Ryan Mountcastle and Jose Iglesias for the number two spot. I think my vote still solidly goes to Santander, but when you're looking at things like batting average that we're giving to Jose Iglesias, the gap is a lot smaller between Mountcastle and Iglesias than it is between Iglesias and Santander. I right. mean, Mountcastle's hitting
1: .330 yeah.
2: with a slugging of 514 and an OPS of 899. so looking at those stats, he's pretty close to Iglesias and we could have a whole other debate like we did about Santander and Iglesias and their defensive value where Mountcastle has played 24 games in left field, 6 at first base and 2 DHing. So, I think his value defensively again is probably less than Santander, but where do you value his defense in comparison to Jose Iglesias? At 24 games in left field versus 23 games at shortstop and of course the 6 games at first base. For Ryan Mountcastle
1: I'm going to complicate things further And this oh, is good. a good transition into Maybe our last candidate mm-hmm. Hanser Alberto Yep. And I'm going to throw in the factor of Off the field What does it mean to be a leader to a rebuilding team That has a lot of young guys How much value does that add Hanser Alberto in 51 games sending 286 OP, uh, OPS around 700 You know just three home runs But he has been a consistent presence in that lineup almost every game for Brandon Hyde. He is a a candidate, the Orioles nominee for the Roberto Clemente Award, so he is very active in the community and great there. And in the clubhouse, we have heard nothing but great things from Hyde, from his teammates, about what Hanser Alberto provides for this team. How much do you value that? I think you you have to consider it. And that's why I think Hanser Alberto deserves to have his name discussed. Obviously, the the counting stats are not nearly up to par with Santander or Iglesias or even Mountcastle, but Hanser Alberto has been exactly what this team needed in terms of a consistent presence, getting on base, and just a guy that Brandon Hyde can look to as a great, positive, happy, fun presence in this clubhouse. Um, and, and deserves to have his name discussed at least in this conversation.
2: Oh, definitely. And I think there's some other guys who even have bent better counting numbers than Hanser Alberto that we could technically throw in at that number four spot, even though there's a pretty clear three. But I think Alberto absolutely deserves to be that fourth. And outside of the fact that he's a spark plug and you know, one of the leaders in the clubhouse, he's also playing second and third base where Rio Ruiz has been struggling at third base, and you really don't have a fantastic backup option at second. We talked about it with Jose Iglesias. Those same guys are probably going to be your replacements at second base between Pat Valleca, Ramon Urias, and Andrew Velasquez. Those were the guys that you would plug and play at second. And another thing about Alberto as well is that he's the only guy who's going to finish the season with 50-plus games out of the guys that we've been exactly. talking about. So you also have to factor in longevity. Yeah, He's the only one. I mean, Mountcastle you know, hasn't been struggling with injuries. He just got called up late. The other two had injury issues throughout the year. Alberto is the one consistency in the lineup that's going to play 50-plus games for the Orioles yeah. this year, and that's, that's big. Yeah, I, I think... I, I cast votes for this as
1: well the other day, and I couldn't. It took a long time deciding the order of these guys because you don't feel great about any one of these candidates. As awesome as Santander was to start the season, it just it strikes you a little bit wrong to vote for a guy who hasn't played in three weeks. You know, it, right. it's like the debate that national writers had last year with Do you vote for Mike Trout, even though he missed the final month of the season, or Christian Yelich? for most valuable player when they, he missed the final month of the season. It just doesn't... Recency bias is a factor, but also it, you should give it to the guy that has been with the team for a long period of time. That being said, this is a different year, and I think you just have to take all those things into consideration and, look, and, and take the games played as less important in this instance. Um, so it, while it is a, a positive, and Brandon, he's not going to win most valuable Oriole, but you... Can bet Brandon High has loved having Hanser with him the entire time, and you can—he might, to him, be a, the most valuable player or one of them because
2: of what he has been, what he has meant to this team. Well, he might as well be the most valuable clubhouse Oriole. Yeah. I mean, he was voted for the Roberto Clemente yeah, he's Award, so that's—he's got his—that's essentially the most valuable <laughs> clubhouse Oriole.
1: Yeah, yeah, and not only that, he is beloved by fans. I think oh, I'm yeah, I can agree. He's, he's the best. It. He is the yeah. man. He is the man. Um, all right. Any other candidates that we
2: need to throw in there? Maybe a Tanner Scott? I, I would put a Tanner Scott into consideration just because he's, he's had an unbelievable year. I mean, he's got a baseball reference WAR of 1.4. He's pitched in 24 games, 22 strikeouts, and a one ERA. That's awesome in the Orioles' bullpen. The thing with Tanner Scott is, we talked about before we got on the podcast, if this is a closing pitcher, then you can say, absolutely, he's got to be in the discussion for most valuable Oriole. He's closing out these games. He is picking up saves right and left. This is a guy who should be the most valuable Oriole. But with Tanner Scott, he's only pitched 20 innings, and he's not out there recording saves. He's not in that ninth inning situation. So I think for that reason, you're looking at a guy who has only pitched 20 innings versus... The everyday, well, I say everyday players, we're talking about three most valuable Orioles who only play 30-plus games, but they are still racking up the innings in comparison to a guy like Tanner Scott. And for me, it's hard to say a guy is the most valuable Oriole if he's pitching. He's not going to end the year with more than 25 innings, most likely.
1: It's all the same points as why a reliever has had an incredibly difficult time winning a Cy Young reliever is not going to be in a most valuable player conversation even when zach Britton had his historic season and had a 0.56 era in 2016 manny machado won most valuable Oriole, uh and i think britain i think he did get votes for the cy young that season but he was outside of the top five i think he finished maybe sixth Um, even though he was the best reliever in baseball by a long, long margin, large margin. It's
2: just tough when you're not playing in that many games to start and then you're not pitching in that many innings.
1: Absolutely. But to a manager, to have a guy that you can rely on out of the bullpen, especially for Brandon Hyde, we know that he has gone through some difficult bullpen times through his first two seasons, though this year has been much more of a breeze than last year. Last year was just very difficult to manage that bullpen. To have somebody that you can call on and... He's going to get the job done for you in high leverage situations. That is of huge value to a team.
2: And I think despite his 20 innings, I would still say that Tanner Scott is probably the most valuable Oriole pitcher.
1: At this point, probably.
2: Yeah. I I would say that he's at least I would put him as the most valuable Oriole pitcher.
1: You know, stats from this season are going to be very kind to some and very unkind to others. Dean Kramer is going to get the short end of the stick because of that start last night. His yeah. ERA ballooned to like a 4-7, which is a shame because he had like a one-something oh, coming into out. that game. Yeah. And if he just didn't, if he just, I don't know, missed that start or just pitched a little bit better, but all offseason, he's going to have to hear about a four seven six ERA. But we all know that that is the victim of of one bad start. Right. Um, but that is just the kind of nature of this 2020 season. And, and for a reliever like Tanner Scott, he might come in tonight and get hit around and, you know, maybe he gives up four runs or he lets he leaves an inherited runner score, something like that, and his ERA balloons to a four, something like... We saw that happen with Evan Phillips. Couldn't retire a batter the other night, and his ERA went from a three-something all the way up to, like, a four or close to five. So the 60-game the season is... is We knew it was going to throw out some wonky stats, and these are going to be a few of them. But one one two three,
2: Give me your vote for... Most valuable Oriole, Brendan. See, I had a different one, two, three coming in, and I've since During the course of the podcast. I have, I have now changed my mind. My My one is staying consistent at Anthony Santander. Cedric Mullins won. Cedric Mullins won. <laughs> uh, as DJ as Stewart knows, and I'm going You're to inform our, our listeners here, Stan. I am a Cedric Mullins Stan account. Is that account what the kids say? It's a Stan account, yes. Are you,
1: you, during the offseason, you could make a Stan account. I personally. could make a I don't know Stan know if there account. Are for Cedric, Cedric, Cedric Mullins
2: There is a. Well,. Viewers might have gotten a little bit of a hint when we talked about the Orioles outfield, and I said, you've got to start Cedric Mullins in center field. I'm a huge Cedric Mullins fan. Can you make a, a fried meme for Cedric Mullins? I probably should. Okay. I'm surprised I haven't made one already, Honestly, to be too. fair. Uh, but anyway, Cedric Mullins, unfortunately, does not crack my top three. My top three is, number one, Anthony Santan there. Number two, this is where the change is. I'm going to put Ryan Mountcastle at number two. And then number three, Jose Iglesias. Wow. I, I had Iglesias at number two coming in. I have since convinced myself otherwise because this is also a Ryan Mountcastle Stan account.
1: I think I can, I'm going to reveal my. Sure. I'll, I'll, uh, I have also changed my mind during the course of this. Over the past 24 hours since when I voted yesterday, yep. it took me a lot of consternation. And part of it, honestly, was I voted yesterday before, or two days ago before that night's game, thinking that. Jose Iglesias was going to play in at least one of those two games, and he missed both games. I had Iglesias one, Santander two, Mountcastle three. I think, considering we have not seen Jose Iglesias play the past couple nights, and after doing an even deeper dive, I might switch Santander, have Santander one, Iglesias two, Mountcastle three. But I think Iglesias does need to be in the top two
2: yeah i mean i i disagree personally cool. i would put mountcastle at two but i think without a doubt these are the top three give, at the very least give me your top three 2021 most valuable Oriole. oh wow um okay uh ryan mountcastle one okay austin hayes two okay and anthony santander three really you think he's uh, maybe uh, dean kramer uh this is tough I have, my my
1: top two. I have Michael Bauman one. Ma- <laughs> Use Neil Diaz two.
2: Yeah, my my top two. And Heston
1: Kerszag gets a call up.
2: Ryan Mountcastle one. Austin Hayes two. And here's the Trey Mancini three.
1: Yeah, here's the fun thing. We could be having this conversation next year and have Ad, Should we include Adley Rutschman in the top three? Ooh, Best Buy I I don't think
2: again. That's, this that's is fun This thing. is another topic for discussion but that very much depends on when he gets called up that
1: does but we have we've considered 2021 a target date and considering how we have seen some Orioles catchers struggle as of late
2: yeah you never, well we've, got, we've all got a lot of, of the offseason yeah to we've got, wildly got every week speculate.
1: <laughs> how many weeks of an offseason to get through as well and though this is our final podcast of course of the 2020 season we will be back again next week to wrap up the 2020 season go back through some of our over-unders that we had Feels like yesterday, but two months ago, we've set some over-unders and some statistical guesses for the year. We're going to review those, see how poorly we did. Spoiler, I did very poorly. Very. Yeah. And uh, and stick with us, of course, during the entire offseason because we will be churning out content, podcasts, segments, shows galore. Baseball may be over during the, the uh, offseason, may stop, but Mass Access does not. But anyway, our podcast now does not even stop because Rock Kabako of Massinsports.com hopped on with me earlier. Here's our conversation. Now we're joined on the Massin All Access podcast by Rock Kabako of Massinsports.com. Rock, congratulations, first and foremost. Brand new <laughs> grandfather. What was that like as you were reporting on a game when you found out that you had just become a grandfather?
0: Yeah, it's, it was interesting, the timing as right as the last out was being made in the last home game. I get a text from my son-in-law saying she's here, <laughs> meaning my granddaughter. And I'm like filing and tweeting. And I thought my head might explode at that point. <laughs> but it, the whole process has started like one thirty in the morning. So at that point, it, it was a relief for sure. But uh, it was just so twenty twenty. Paul. what can yeah. I say? Yeah. Nothing yeah. has really been normal in twenty twenty. So why should that? as well. It's kind of like the perfect ending to the home portion of the schedule.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. And you just met the new baby in person for the first time. How was she doing? And uh, was that one of the coolest moments of your life or what?
0: It it really was. I mean, I got to hold her, feed her a bottle. It it was amazing. And I'm so proud of my son-in-law. He's the first time dad, you'd think he was a veteran at it. He's Got his notepad out, you know, writing down every single thing, which I guess if you have two or three, you stop doing that. But the first <laughs> one, you you know, you chronicle every single thing with the mom, with the baby, and it's it's really cute to see. But yeah, it was exciting. And then I said, Hey, would love to stay, but I've got Zooms to do. And I had to rush home.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you you never never stops, never turns off for Rockabaco. But we we wish our best for the new baby and the family, okay. of course. So best of luck there. Let's talk about some baseball. Uh, You talked about on MassInSports.com this morning, you wouldn't reveal who you voted for for most valuable Oriole. You can vote for up to three in a certain order, but it is a very interesting uh, year for the voting there because you have three, maybe four candidates there that each have made contributions to this team, but each are flawed candidates in their own kind of way. Where do you think – uh, the, the voters will lean. Will they go towards a guy like a Santander who played just 37 games? Are they going to look at Iglesias who also played around the same number of games? Or would they try to go for somebody like a Hanser Alberto who played more games but didn't produce as much?
0: Yeah, it's funny. You have different ways you could go with this. If it's Santander, it's because you have a long memory because he hasn't been around in a while. What was it, September 4th maybe it was his last game? So you're kind of remembering everything he did before that and you still vote for him. If it's so it's because it's what's right in front of you right now. Also a limited amount of games, but only about two fewer than San Dander played. But at least he's here right now. And you could make an argument. He's the best player they have at this point. And he's red hot. So you could say, OK, in the immediate, it's him. Then you look at a guy like Iglesias, who's been with the team all year. But then it was the IL stint. He's on the field. He's off the field. He's in the trainer's room. So it's been a little bit sporadic but you have kind of the bookends because it looks like he's going to be back. He took BP yesterday. So he's kind of in front of you, but he keeps disappearing and coming back. And Alberto's just had a really bad September. I think he was a candidate earlier and it'd be hard for him now. But uh, either way, the numbers aren't going to blow you away, whoever it is, because again, 2020, I mean, it's a truncated season to begin with. I worked in truncated again, but also you've got guys in a truncated season who aren't playing the full schedule. So the numbers aren't going to jump out at you you have to take that into account. And also you take into account, value comes in different ways. It's what you do on the field, but also you can show your value when you're off it. And let's face it, it really hurt this team in the thick of a pennant race when Santander left. Like that was a big loss for them in a the lineup and in right field. And Iglesias, every time he goes out, there's that drop-off at shortstop, and he's been their best hitter when he's been on the field, He's around 400 at one point, batting second or third, too. We're not talking about the bottom of the order. So his absences also make it really show you, okay, this guy, this t- is a different team without him. And Hyde has said that many times how much they miss him when he's not in the lineup. And, you know, Mountcastle, the late arrival, if he'd been doing this for a longer stretch, if he'd been brought up sooner, we'll never know if he would have, but let's say he would have then that would have certainly benefited them more as well. So, But I think guys being absent, instead of holding out against them, I think you need to step back and say, hey, he really is valuable because as soon as he was gone, this team dipped. Absolutely,
1: and it, it is a weird set of circumstances where a guy who's going to play basically a little bit more than half the season, those top three candidates have all played just a little bit more than 30 games, um, are all going to be considered for that. But one guy that has missed some time and also may have been some preseason picks for most valuable Oriole. But because of the time he missed and because of how he struggled to start the 2020 season, was not in that conversation. That's Austin Hayes, who has been excellent in September. I think if he only plays in the month of September from now on, considering how he did last year in September and then two years ago back in 20 or – three years ago now in 2017 in September when he lit the world on fire – do you feel like the he has put himself in a better position going into the offseason in 2021 to try to cement a spot in a now pretty overcrowded outfield?
0: Yeah, so a Ma- most valuable September award is what yeah. we're looking MBS, for. MVS, yeah. yes, yeah, MVS. Uh, you know, it's hard to say whether he has because he has to be able to stay on the field. Like even though he's having this great September unfortunately for him because these are a lot of freakish accidents it's not his fault it's not that he's soft I mean he got drilled in the ribs what's he supposed to do about <laughs> yeah. that and played for like nine games after that so he's definitely tough but no matter what he does the rest of the way and he's really playing so well since coming off the IL there's still going to be those questions dogging him when he goes to spring training next year you know can he stay healthy and even if it's on opening day roster if he's in center field if he's in one of the corners because Cedric Mullins is playing a lot of center. It's still going to be, can he give you 150 games or more, whatever. Can he stay healthy? He's not been able to do that. So it's great to see what he's doing. It's kind of that cruel tease. You're reminded, Hey, this guy's really good, very toolsy. And he makes a difference, whether he's in center, whether he's in left that defense, that speed, that's so valuable. And the power that he's got, the ability to hit to all fields, He's going to hit for average, hit for power, and be a really good player, whether he's high up in the lineup, he could be your leadoff hitter, whether he's in the middle of it, whatever. We know this about Austin Hayes, but can he give them 150-plus games? Can you count on him? And then let Brandon Hyde have the very pleasant problem of, do we put him in left field? Do we put him in center? Is Mullins a left fielder? Is Mullins a fourth outfielder? Because they've got a lot of outfielders that we can project coming back, including Santander, Trey Mancini if he's not at first. Mount Cal, so he thinks and left. So what happens? It's a pleasant problem to have, but that's a lot of outfielders. But you certainly would want Hayes in that mix. And he's going to start somewhere if he can stay healthy.
1: Yeah, we're trying to parse out all of the different iterations of a potential 2021 Orioles outfield. It's going to be a difficult task. Again, a good problem to have for Brandon Hyde. But on last week's podcast, Brendan and I talked about how Renato Nunez, strangely enough, even though he's not an outfielder, might be the one who is on the outs because of this glut of outfielders because he can't really play any position above average except maybe first base at this point. And with Trey Mancini most likely coming back and and playing uh, the bulk of his games at first base, could you see Renato Nunez being kind of a a casualty of the fact that this Orioles outfield has a surplus right now?
0: I mean, he could be. I, certainly, he's a guy that they would look to move if they could. You know, I don't think they want to just non-tender him. That's always a possibility. He's first-year arbitration eligible. Everybody gets a raise in arbitration. But I think they'd really love to find somebody that needs a power bat corner infielder that's like, look, we'll work with him. He'll, he'll be serviceable, especially at first base, and maybe get something in return. I certainly think he's one of those trade ships, so they're certainly going to try and present him as one. Because you're right. I mean, he would be kind of the odd man out because you have all these outfielders and that way. You kind of free up the DH spot more. You have multiple guys who can play some first, whether it's Mancini, whether it's Mountcastle. I don't know if Faleka is going to be back next year. Chris Davis is still under contract. If he's back periodically, maybe playing some first base. So, I really think Nunez could get squeezed out of there, and it's not helping his cause. that he's so streaky. I had somebody on Twitter say, This is a 40 home run guy every year, and you're gonna, they're going to get rid of him. And I'm like, Well, he's never hit 40. And I'm not guaranteeing they're getting rid of him, but he's never hit 40. And it's just these <laughs> big lulls where he just, you know, he struggles so much, and all of a sudden he hits five home runs in four days. I mean, that's just how he is. And he might get to the point where you've got so many other options and you've got these younger guys that you want to give time to. And again, free up the DH spot that he could be a casualty. And that's not even mentioning the fact that Yusniel Diaz or Ryan McKenna at some point could debut next summer. That's certainly the expectation. Diaz probably would have been here this year if there had been a minor league season and a regular 162 game major league season. So you've got other guys behind this wave here. So I think Nunez, if he isn't you know moved and over the winter he's certainly a trade deadline guy but there's still that outside possibility they may just part ways with him because they don't have a spot and because of the fact that he's just so streaky and certainly not finishing strong right now you
1: mentioned the wave of youngsters that could be making their debuts in the outfield next year there's probably a few guys in that group who were either at the Bowie site during the 2020 season or the lower levels of the minor leagues during the 2019 season who could be making their debuts in the infield next year. Rylan Bannon comes to mind, uh even a guy like a Mason McCoy who played at Double-A Bowie last year could some of the current Orioles infielders have to be battling some of these guys come spring training 2021. And try, you know, if a guy like Rio Ruiz, is he going to have to be fighting for an everyday spot at third base with the number of infielders that we could see coming up through the system next year?
0: Yeah, I think the Ruiz situation is really going to be interesting. So I'm not sure if anybody you mentioned is a guy you say, hey, he could be the everyday third baseman instead of Rio. But certainly these are guys that, you know, versatile can play different positions. And if you want to bring them up, and Valleca, again, is still in the pitcher. Then, yeah, I mean, Ruiz, and it's just how the season works and how the sport works. Early in the year, we were like, hey, this guy, he is established. He's every day. He's not even platooning. And when he was out, we kept talking and writing about how much they missed Ruiz's defense at third. That steady presence, the consistency, reliability. Then all of a sudden, he was having all these troubles throwing the ball. And you're back to saying, well, is he really the answer at third? What happened to him? Why is he struggling so much with throws on the move or even when he plants his feet? It's like, what just happened? We were just talking about how valuable he was when he was missing and how much they missed him at third, and now he's missing his target when he's trying to throw the ball to first base. It's confusing. And, and you know, he's, again, another guy that has his hot streaks and then gets really cold, so they're going to have to also look at him and, and look at that position and say it's not going to be Mountcastle at third, by the way. <laughs> and it's not going to be Nunez at third, so they have to look. As, it's not going to be Chris Davis at 3rd <laughs> keep going. So are they in the market for a third baseman? Does Ruiz get another shot at it? Is there somebody else uh, that you go ahead and work in? But uh, yeah, that's going to be an interesting situation because Ruiz went from kind of establishing himself and certainly hasn't been on the shuttle, like he's here, but he went from that to being a question mark again.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We've seen some curious defense, as you said, with jose iglesias every time he makes some kind of questionable decision or throw you always tweet the all bat no fielding jose iglesias (laughs) the the best number three or number two hitter wherever he's going to be in in baseball as well uh but one more before we get you out of here rock you spend a lot of time via zoom with brandon hyde between your ask the skipper segments on Mm -hmm. o's extra pregame and of course the daily pre and post game zooms with brandon hyde And, and none of us are in this locker room at this point but have you been impressed with what you've seen from Brandon Hyde in this season? And, and do you feel like he took a step forward as a manager in 2021?
0: You left out our happy hours that we have on. No, yeah. not. <laughs> of course. Of course. Uh, I really am impressed. I think it's unfortunate that the way the record's going to end up at this point, and they may end up in last place, too. I mean, they're a really game ahead of Boston, that maybe that costs him some manager of the year votes now, because how do you justify that when the team is, what, 10 games below 500 now and, and plummeting? But that's not a true marker of what he's done. They didn't get eliminated until there were five games left in the season. They were supposed to win 10 to 15 games, according to all the experts. And he had them in contention and not just with all the disadvantages that they had coming in, but then losing Santander and having Iglesias out as much as he has been. And and John Means hasn't been John Means until the last like three starts. And they lost Alex Cobb for a period again, and they were sellers even though they were in contention. They weren't bringing in guys to help with the playoff push. They were losing key bullpen guys, and Tommy Malone, who had been an innings guy, and a strikeout guy for them for some strange reason in the rotation. I mean, they they traded away Blyer before all that, and yet they still were contending. And he still walks that very fine line, and I don't know how he's able to do it, where he's totally on board with the rebuild, And he understands the big picture, just like Michael Elias is preaching and he understands it and he promotes it. Yet he walks in that clubhouse and says, guys, every game matters. We're here to win. And you think they might be like, wait a minute. I thought it was about 2021, 22 future talent. Don't worry about the one loss record. Somehow he's able to play both sides there and he gets the most out of them. And more than on paper, he should have been able to get while still recognizing and supporting all the moves they're making for the future. And these are, Rookie starters making their debuts in a pennant race. You know, Mal so we didn't know he was going to be this good, but they took a shot. Chris Davis didn't work out again after the great spring training. He's had to navigate through that and just all the injuries and guys, they lost key guys. Sean Armstrong quietly had a really good season, had some lower back pain. They said, Oh, probably dead 10 days and almost missed like a month. It was like three weeks. Like, what happened to Sean Armstrong? And yet they still were contending. Until five games were left, so I think Brandon Hyde has done a remarkable job. I think he was the right guy for this process, as it turns out. Uh, I think he's got the right mentality. But he, I mean, I thought he'd be thrilled that they contended for the last up to the last five days. Yet when I talked to him about that, is that a source of pride? He was like, "Yes or no? Like I'm I'm happy with that, but he goes, I'm really disappointed." And he started recounting all the games they should have won, and as he said, gave away late. And I'm thinking, man, this guy is so competitive, ultra competitive, but still understands why they traded all these key guys and why it's about the big picture. I, I think he's done a really, really good job.
1: Yeah, I keep thinking back to that quote. I think it was one or two weeks into the season where he said, I just get up in the morning, put on my fireman's hat, try to put out fires until the game starts. <laughs> and he did way more than that. He did way more than just put out the the daily firestorm. Uh, that was surrounding Major League Baseball in this 60-game season. He was also navigating this team and, and leading them to a lot of wins.
0: Uh, I mean, a second-year manager doing this. Yeah. Like, you know, you're going to throw a pandemic at him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, seriously, how did he handle it? I think he handled it really well.
1: Absolutely. Could not agree more there, Rock. Uh, thanks so much for hopping on the Mass and All Access podcast. Be sure to uh, send Rock your number one grandpa shirts if you have <laughs> them, maybe a mug, some kind of s- – s- yeah. just a reminder. That, uh, but
0: thanks. any grandpa jokes, if you have, yeah, I'll yeah.
1: Them. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll have plenty for you in the offseason. Sure. <laughs> Rock, appreciate it. Thank you.